Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing privileges of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes of focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages to find out more about the incredible things God is doing through our church family. We got some heavy stuff to talk about as we continue our race to the cross with Jesus. In our podcast series, we explore the gospel of Mark, and today we're going to be talking about authority. Specifically, those different authorities that distract us from the only true authority in the universe. Now, again, we're in this kind of living metaphor, if you will, of this race that we're taking with Jesus to his cross. Now, in a race, all along the course, the runners will find distractions. Maybe you've known that from experience. Some in the crowd cheer you on. Some in the crowd cheer on your opponents. Some praise your form and skill. Some accuse you of cheating. But you can't get distracted. You need to stay focused on what is most important. Now, this week, we're going to see Jesus, as he did throughout his ministry, he faced a ton of distractions, but he always stayed focused on the most important thing, drawing more and more to be closer and closer to God. He drew his disciples, he drew crowds, and he showed them how outsiders can become part of the family of God, how sinners can become saints. And we're going to see that full and beautiful in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Let's listen into these incredible words of the gospel. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins... And every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Well, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. And he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This truly is the good news, the gospel of our Savior Jesus. Picture yourself in a college philosophy classroom. It's your freshman year, maybe even your first class. The butterflies are there. 
The excitement to learn the class is packed. And the professor starts working through the syllabus. And towards the end of the period, she assigns your first assignment. Write a one-page reaction to this quote from philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Here's the quote. A god who begets children with a mortal woman. A justice that accepts the innocent as a vicarious sacrifice. Someone who orders his disciples to drink his blood. Sins perpetrated against a god, atoned for by a god. Can one believe that such things are still believed? She dismisses you with a smirk on her face. She says, how sad that millions of people believe such nonsense. And you can hear your classmates chuckle. Here she is, an educational authority. And you look around at the authority of influence your classmates have. What authority do you listen to? Now this scenario, it's a compilation from many conversations I've had with friends who have gone through experiences like this. It's not to say that all secular universities are this way, but what's evident is how crucial authority is. In our lives, are we getting distracted from the one authority that holds all power? Even more, do we truly understand what God's authority is all about? And maybe you've noticed something in our culture that's been brewing since long before the 1960s, the disdain we have for authority. I mean, you can look at survey after survey. Americans have very little confidence or honor to give to institutions. What you see is this desire for personalization to have the authority. In fact, more and more people, they don't like the idea of someone else telling you how to live your life and who you are. In fact, for many, the only role for authority figures is simply to validate who we want to be and the life we think is best. Now, the irony in all of this, of course, is that in the desire to live by our own rules, we still long for the authority of others to affirm us. And this isn't just a postmodern problem. It's been here since Adam and Eve, right? The struggle they had, wanting to be their own authority, to not just be like God, but over God. Be able to set the terms and conditions for their lives. That's where Mary and Jesus' siblings were too, here in Mark chapter 3. They wanted to have authority over Jesus. Now, once again, Jesus is in a house. And just like we talked about last week, it's so intense, it's so packed, that no one even bothers to eat supper that day. Jesus has their full attention. Not even hunger can distract. But news of this gathering hits the ears of Jesus' family, and they rush over there. Not out of joy to hear Jesus, but why? Well, what does the text tell us? They went to take charge of him for, they said, he is out of his mind. Do you hear echoes of our hypothetical college classroom? Jesus, don't be so strange. Only someone who's clinically insane can declare himself to be God. Jesus, be a good boy and come home. And the sadness Jesus must have had to witness this. Mary and his siblings were sick and tired of hearing people laugh at Jesus, question his sanity, and they wanted to hide him away. And at the end of chapter 3, they send someone else first to try to convince Jesus to come home with them. They, they wanted authority over Jesus and to tuck him and his strangeness away. And between you and me, I see such a tucking away tendency with, with me too. And I know it's within you as well. You know the look, the raised eyebrow, the shaking head of disappointment. You really believe that. It's one thing 
to have a random person cut you down or cut down your faith on Instagram, it's totally different to look into the eyes of someone you care about who finds your belief to be ridiculous at best and hateful at worst. How many people do we drive next to every day who would find you and me out of our minds for believing in a six-day creation? How many would angrily bite back at us for believing that neither the life of a mother nor the life of an unborn baby belong to themselves but to the God who knitted them together with his own hands? Can you hear already now the chuckling when we talk about Jesus' body and blood being connected to bread and wine or the Bible's definition of marriage being a relationship grounded in commitment, the commitment of a God and his lifelong grace for us and the commitment, the lifelong commitment beyond emotions between a man and a woman. In my sin, how often I've tucked Jesus and his controversial, strange to our culture teachings away to avoid the awkwardness, the conflict, the perception that I'm a simpleton or a bigot. Do you see what authority we're so often living under? The influence of others, we so often allow to distract us into living for mere self-preservation and saving face. Now, Jesus has long seen it all, and he knows the struggle. Jesus faced an extremely difficult situation in his culture that we don't fully appreciate in our individualistic world. If you grew up in most cultures outside of Western civilization, your role in the family was the most crucial in your life. In these honor-shame cultures, how you reflect the honor of your family is everything. Well, in this moment, Jesus was bringing earthly shame to his mother and brothers, but pure honor to his true family. Now, there's something that just captures our attention here. When Jesus asked this question, who are my mother and brothers? The people in the room must have had this incredulous look on their face. Jesus has this pause, and he looks intently into the eyes of all the people in the room gathered in a circle around him, and he says, here. Here are my mother and brothers. Jesus is revealing a profound truth. He says his true family is not blood. In fact, he's saying that blood is not thicker than the water of baptism. He looks around that room and says, I identify with them. Such is his view of you too. When you and I, as we so often do, fall to the distraction of the authority of influence, wanting to pick and choose what part of Jesus' teaching to make public, and we look down in shame, he looks intently at us through his word and sacrament and says to you again, here is my forgiven sister. Here is my forgiven brother. Let the world see it right here, right now. I identify with them. They belong to me and I to them. You're starting to see why Jesus' authority is the only one worth following. His authority is not about abusing power to force submission. His authority revolves around a self-sacrificing love for you. A love so deep he was willing to live and die and rise in your place so you could enjoy what his kingdom is all about. Freedom to serve God with joy, gladness, and excited love. He uses his influence through the gospel not to affirm and validate himself. Jesus died not for validation, but for redemption, to woo you, not to control you. And yet, of course, the authority of influence, the authority of those closest to us, those close relationships, those aren't the only influential authorities that can distract us from fearlessly following God's will. Sadly, even religious authorities can hide our Jesus away too. I mean, are we not seeing that today? 
It's no secret that American Christianity is waning. According to Pew Research, not only is the fastest growing religion in our country the religion of none, but Christianity will cease to be the belief of most Americans in a matter of a few decades. In one sense, yes, it's a scary thought, yet, of course, it's also an exciting outreach opportunity. As more and more churches grapple with this foreign society that we find ourselves in, what have many done in the name of reaching out? The three A's. You ready? Let's attenuate or water it down. Let's accommodate. Let's affirm. I see this all over the place. People aren't really into the whole we're sinful by nature thing because it lowers self-esteem, so let's just toss it. The culture doesn't like the design God has for women and men. We can bend. People see baptism and communion as nonsensical. Let's just make them sentimental ceremonies. I'll admit, I'm being a little facetious here, but between us, again, each of these scenarios has come up in conversations I've had with different pastors and church leaders. Why do these concessions happen? It's because sometimes we in our sin, what are we? Well, we're more focused on maintaining the institutional authority and relevance of our little churches than proudly proclaiming Jesus and letting him determine the results according to his grace and his wisdom. Which is precisely what the teachers of the law didn't understand. Why do they essentially call Jesus a spawn of Satan? Which, yikes. <laughs> I don't think you can call somebody something worse. Why do they call him that? It's because they saw him as a threat. I mean, look at what they say here in Mark 3. He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. They react so viscerally because they were convinced that they were on God's side. And they hear Jesus' message of grace, undeserved love, heaven given purely from the selfless love of our God through faith. God doing it all. And they see it as a threat to their authority. And their authority was grounded on this idea just like the natural religion of the world, that if you live a good enough life, you can earn your way into God's kingdom. They were distracted by the impossible goal of self-righteousness, and they lost the message of the gospel in the process. And the same thing is so often happening, not everywhere, not in every church, God be praised, but we see it in the landscape of American Christianity. We hear much more preaching on living the good life and less preaching on the perfect life Jesus lived for you. So, how will Jesus respond to the satanic accusation against him? It is downright brilliant. And Mark wants us to see that. Which is why, this is really neat, just he places what Jesus says right smack dab in the center of the narrative. Right there. Okay. So, what does Jesus, how does he respond? And it really connects to both the authority of influence and the authority of the religious institution of his time. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I mean, even logically, their assertion makes zero sense. Then he goes even further. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end is come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then, then, what? Then he can plunder. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I came to tie Satan up. I came to go right into Satan's domain and take away all his authority. It's by my sacrifice on the cross and by the Holy Spirit who works through the written word and the visible sacraments that I will finish my work. And this is why the sin against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. 
It's coldly rejecting the very grace God longs to give all people. It's here in Jesus' response he reveals to us how different his authority is. Now again, in our modern culture, we despise the thought that someone outside us could have control over our bodies, over our desires, over our passions. But imagine with me, run the scenario, what would happen if we were truly our own authorities? What would happen if our family or our church family was nothing but entities designed to affirm even our self-destructive thoughts and actions? You don't have to think about it too long, what the results would be. Do you see how this is the very opposite of love? It's self-drivenness. It's self-centeredness. It's the exact opposite of love, the defining characteristic of God's authority. If you see yourself as the authority, as Jesus' family and these teachers of the law did, you will never know love. You just can't. Only appeasement. The never-ending quest of every human being to acknowledge your rightness, which, by the way, will never happen. With the result that you'll always be lonely. But here's the beauty of Jesus' authority. It's grounded not in self-promotion, but self-sacrifice. He went into the realm of the strong man Satan And he rendered him powerless, robbing every last chance for Satan to have the final laugh due to the tragedy in the Garden of Eden. He showed his authority, Jesus' authority. He shows that it must be trusted. And there is no greater authority because there's no one more trustworthy than Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis, he captured this so well. He wrote this once, Don't be scared by the word authority. Believing things on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by someone you think trustworthy. None of us can truly trust even ourselves. We're volatile. We change. Why place your entire worldview on shifting sands like that when you're under God's roof? You're Jesus who never changes, who's never divided in motive, but who calls you brother and sister. Our Jesus who became the ultimate outsider on the cross, subjecting himself to wrong-headed authority so you and I could live under his kingdom, under him and his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence, and blessedness. Those awesome words of Martin Luther. And doesn't it change how you and I look at the cultural controversies of our time? And even more so, how we love people through it. See, God's authority is all about love from start to finish. And one amazing gift he gives us through it is the gift of loving people with an eternal mindset. When you and I see people that are caught up under the wrong authority, even if they're experiencing perceived happiness in the present. That's not enough for them. It's not enough for our love for them. We we want them to experience joy in not just the present, but the life to come that lasts forever, the never-ending pages that follow this one-sentence preface of ours on earth. We stand with Jesus. We don't hide or divide his teaching. We stand behind it all. And even if the world disowns us, even if the world mocks us and shames us, none of it, None of it compares to the welcome awaiting you when all of heaven will rejoice when Jesus throws his arms around you. Such an undistracted perspective. It's the story we all want. The legacy of grace that we all long for. And it's the story of a woman named Cha Dioksun. Now recently a North Korean propaganda film was discovered that told the story of Cha's life. It told the story of how she had run away to China and her life was changed when she heard the good news of Jesus. 
And then she actually went back to North Korea, sharing Jesus wherever she went. The government labeled her as a, quote, spy speaking, or spy seeking, excuse me, to recruit other spies. And she more than likely lost her life because she wouldn't stop living for Jesus. But isn't that right there, the undistracted life? It's why living under Jesus' authority removes distractions, removes doubt, removes fear, because when whom you belong to loves you literally to death, and if death is your worst-case scenario, dying in the Lord, you know what happens? All that fear, all that doubt, all that worry about trying to appease, it goes away, and it all turns into joy. The joy we can only have in our Savior who loves us and who rules all things for our good, and no distraction can take your eyes of faith away from that. Amen. Again, thank you so much for engaging with me on this so, so essential and important conversation. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the ways that you support our church, our, our ministry here and our mission here. I, it just blows me away. Um, so thank you again. God's richest blessings. You live under his kingdom, right? And serve him with joy and gladness as he leads you in every situation in life. God's richest blessings. You live for him now and always.